1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am Brett Coleman. That is EJ Snyder. Obviously, we are not in our normal setup because we are coming to you semi-live uh, from a decent-ish hotel room in Dallas, Texas. We were just at Cowboys Bengals yesterday. Uh, we're flying back home today. And then I'm, I'm gonna be back in Miami this coming week. EJ's gonna be back in Seattle. And uh, we have enjoyed a lot of football this weekend, both live and on TV, and of course watching film after the games. We have a hell of a lot to talk about this week. But before we get into it, EJ, buddy, how's this weekend been for you? How are you doing?
2: I'm doing all right. I have survived. It was high 90s uh, every day we were in Dallas. Generous. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It's been warm, but tons of great football. Texas is a beautiful state. Great people incredibly welcoming football culture and we got to see a lot of it we got to see a lot of good games both on tv and live um we've got some nice cold beers and we're going to go through the whole week for you and ideally by the way
1: this is going to be coming out on tuesday we want for these to come out on tuesday but uh obviously with travel can't specify exactly what time tuesday it might come out at 11 59 p.m but we're going to do our best to get it out on tuesday one quick note once again, thank you to Price Picks for being our season-long sponsor for this year. Thank you to all of our patrons, especially our executive producers, for helping to make the show possible. We couldn't go to these games and sit in ridiculous seats, uh, courtesy of SeatGeek, uh, without... I <laughs> have to throw that in there. I think I'm contractually obligated to throw that in there. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do that without you guys supporting us and, of course, supporting our sponsors. So thank you all for that. Uh, we're going to start off with a rather dark first segment that I have no good way to transition into. Uh, and that is the ridiculous amount of, of injuries that we've had so far this week. Keep in mind, we're recording this on a Monday morning. So we have not yet seen the Monday night game or doubleheader, Monday night doubleheader. So hopefully it doesn't get any worse. But uh, it, it was a doozy of a Sunday. Trey Lance obviously uh, is the headliner. He's going to be done for the year. Pretty severe ankle injury had to be air casted off the field first things first EJ I I am gutted for him because he's had to deal with a lot so far in his young career and he was already a guy that a lot of people didn't really believe in as it is and now it's going to be one more year of unfortunately not being the guy you know good thing for the the Niners they didn't actually end up trading away Jimmy now that actually ends up being a good thing for them but I mean if the 49ers have a good year this year which they probably will because they're a good team And if they make yet another deep playoff run, not that Trey Lance showed a whole lot because he didn't get a whole lot of chances so far.
2: What the hell do you do? It puts him in a very difficult position at the start of his NFL career. He basically took the redshirt year, which was their plan for him. He came in and run packages. He had one start. Other appearances appeared in a Handful of games his rookie year. So that really didn't count as development. This was his true rookie year. He gets one start against the Bears in a monsoon. He gets a quarter against the Seahawks and breaks his ankle. Jimmy comes in, looks well-oiled, you know, very well meshed with all of his teammates. They produce what I would say is a predictable result. This is a team that's made playoff pushes under Jimmy's quarterbacking for the last couple of years. And here you got Trey Lance. He's now going to be fully two years in, a couple of starts, really no resume to lean on. And like you said, a lot of people weren't sure about him coming in. This was kind of the year to figure out, is this the thing? And now you have to put that on hold. If this team does well, goes deep into the playoffs, it's going to be very difficult to say, ah, we should go back to the rookie again. And that's nothing against Trey Lance. it's all situational, but it's not great.
1: And unfortunately for Lance, I mean we're talking to what a four year period or a three year period at least where he has less than 300 total attempts. Like uh, how do you plan around that as a franchise? like I know they gave up three first round picks so they feel obligated to, but at some point we're getting into year three of Trey Lance's career. He's barely played, he's coming off injury. And I saw it with my own eyes in training camp. The accuracy was shaky in training camp. Everybody all summer was saying, like, they're going to have to run him a lot to make up for probably some of the inconsistent ball placement, which, by the way, was a problem at North Dakota State. Like, he did legitimately have ball placement issues at North Dakota State, but you saw the arm talent, you saw the athleticism. He's a good kid, he's coachable, so you wanted to bank on everything else. Going into year two, the accuracy issues were still there. And I think I made the comment, like, They're going to run him 10 times a game to make up for that. And then, of course, they dial up a run and he gets hurt on it. So I truly have no idea what they're going to do. I don't think that they're invested in Jimmy as the future anyway, even if it works out because they already tried to replace him once. They're probably going to try to do it again unless he somehow puts together nothing short of a Super Bowl run. yeah, Like a, a Super Bowl winning run, I should say. So now you're down three first-round picks. You're shaky on Lance. You're shaky on Jimmy. I don't know. It's just a tough place for a franchise to be. And I, my heart is with 49ers fans that have a whole lot of mixed emotions because as it is, there was a pro Tray camp and a pro-Jimmy camp, and now it's just gotten even worse. But uh, to cap off more injury news, again, just based on what we know for now, uh, Kyle Duggar unfortunately left the game versus the Steelers with a knee injury, did not return. He is a massive part of that defense One of the most physical safeties in the league. One of the few guys I would say that's, you know, 220 pounds or less that can actually take on a pulling guard. Like he's, he is not a normal safety. So that's a big loss for them if it ends up being long term. Akeem Hicks, unfortunately, another injury, had a foot injury, did not return versus the Saints. He's just been, he's had some durability issues the last few years that really caught up to him. Uh, Josh Wells also did not return. James Conner got an ankle injury and did not return. But they have five running backs on the roster that they really like, so they'll probably end up being okay. But still, James Conner's a great player, so that's tough for them. Uh, Devin Duvernay was placed in concussion protocol; he left the game. Uh, Jacoby Brissett said post game that he was dealing with an ankle injury throughout the fourth quarter. Uh, which, by the way, just slight tangent. Uh, did you see some of the throws that Jacoby Brissett made in that game? Like, even if he had an ankle injury, like,
2: well, especially if he had an ankle injury, he, he actually looked
1: pretty exciting i'm not gonna lie he even hurt like you i've you know coming out of college everybody said okay he's got a lot of talent you could mold it everything like that that was one of the first games in a while that i saw jacoby Brissett, where i was like okay shit okay this might actually work like i i was genuinely blown away by some of the throws he made i made the comment yesterday i was like look if patrick mahomes did that we'd all be losing their goddamn mind because he was you know breaking tackles and getting out of the pocket and making these crazy throws on the run he legitimately had an impressive performance so uh, hopefully the ankle injury is not serious he did say he's going to play this thursday so we'll see him on thursday when we're doing our live stream of that game on this channel so come back stay tuned for that we're going to be doing live analysis of that game with better audio i might add Uh, a little bit of a technical difficulty (laughs) last week but it's going to be fixed this coming week uh jerry judy you know, some said shoulder, some said back, some said ribs. I think it was officially listed as a shoulder, but he did not return against the Texans. That's tough for them because he started the year strong. And, uh, you know, we're already down two of the top three receivers in Denver if this ends up being serious. So that's really tough for them. And then Dalton Schultz, you and I saw this one live. We were five rows back or something like that. And we saw him go down and immediately grab his knee. And uh, I. My stomach dropped because he's on a franchise tag, and I hate seeing somebody go down holding their knee when they're on a franchise tag. So uh, no official word what that is yet. Hopefully it's not serious. By the time this comes out, we might have a better idea. But uh, I felt gutted for Dalton Schultz because when you're on a one-year deal, that's the last thing I want to see happen is a major injury.
2: He did walk off under his own power. Uh, He was rolling around. He stood up under his own power, walked off under his own power. That doesn't mean he is or is not injured. That just means, hey, that's a good sign. Didn't need to be supported by trainers as he went to the sideline. Um, We were talking about this, that it's never great to see a guy get an injury, whether he just got paid or is about to get paid or hasn't gotten paid. Like, it's better if he gets his money, but it's still not great to see him go down. It was good to see him get up. Good to see him walk off under his own power.
1: One last bit of news, by the way. This one's only slightly better. (laughs) I once again came very close to hitting 5 out of 5 on my slips for the week on prize picks. Uh, I hit 4 out of 5 for the second consecutive week. Uh, I filled this one out right before the Thursday game that we did the live stream last week. I came 15 yards short of a massive payout. I hit the under on Mahomes. I actually called that correctly. I said the Chargers are going to... You know, actually play them pretty well because schematically they're one of the few teams that actually do play them well. I said, Herbert's going to go over, which even though he. You know, shredded his rib cartilage, which, by the way, yet another injury that's devastating from this week. Uh, Still went over because he's a cyborg. I said Clyde was going to go over on 45 and a half yards. He ended up getting 74. I said Eckler was going to go over on 37 and a half receiving because this just smelled like an Austin Eckler, dump it down and let him go win with Yak kind of game, which it was. He got uh, roughly 55 yards receiving. I only missed on Josh Palmer. He came 15 yards short because when you watch that game, They fed him targets, Yeah, no shortage of targets, but there were no fewer than three miscommunications where he went to a different spot than what Justin expected. And I think that is not just the difference in this slip, obviously, almost the difference in the game and how much they miss Keenan Allen because Keenan is somebody who always goes to the right spot at the right time. He's very good at manipulating leverage, very good at running choice routes off of leverage. You know, being able to read zone coverages like his quarterback and stop in the right spot at the right timing, You know, knowing when to carry it up the sideline, when to settle it down, when he's going to go high shoulder, when he's going to go back shoulder. There were three times where Palmer and Herbert had crucial miscommunications that not only stalled the Chargers offense, but completely fucked me over on my slip. And I was very upset, but <sighs> we live and we learn. At least there's still a payout with four or five. So I still ended up positive on the week in terms of money, but God, I just needed like one more catch and I would have been totally fine.
2: So we talked about this early in the stream that Palmer and Herbert just didn't seem on the same page. Then it happened again. Then it happened once later in the game. And, you know, you look at those three targets, maybe two of them completed. Is it the difference in the game could have been, you know, might not have been what they needed, but. Really, the difference was Keenan Allen not being in there because he's been with Justin so long that they just understand each other on that level and rarely miss on those balls. So when we see it with Palmer, it's kind of disturbing. We're like, what? Wait. Oh, right. We're used to seeing Keenan do that the right way. They just quite they haven't quite flipped that switch yet where they're on that same page all the time. And it did cost them. It's a tight game. Obviously, the injury to Herbert's a big deal. But um, yeah, for your slip, it was devastating.
1: Also, slight tangent. Uh, watching back that game, which we're going to talk about it in more in depth later in the show. They have a great receiving core. Nobody's denying that. They do not have any speed. Their mm. fastest guy is Jalen Guyton, who's their wide receiver five. Like They really don't like to put him on the field. He actually has the lowest percentage of snaps where his snaps are run plays. They just don't trust him to block at all. Uh, so, he's basically only on the field in pass only situations, so, which is why he's not on the field very much at all. But of their top four receivers, their fastest one runs like four, five, four. So, they don't have a whole lot of deep speed. You know, we saw a lot of comebacks and curls and crossing routes, and they don't really have the ability to just line up against press coverage, run a go route against press, win deep. Like, if they're going to go deep, it's a jump ball to Mike Williams.
2: Yeah, they're the anti dolphins.
1: They're the anti dolphins. It is like they're a great team, great offense, great receiving core. Not a complete receiving core. We talk about building a receiving core like a basketball team. They got a whole bunch of really good, you know, point guards, and they got a really nice four. But yep, power forward rebounder. They they don't have like a three and D guy. (laughs) You know, somebody who's going to come up in the clutch and and you know just get you a a really good bucket when you absolutely need it. Um, got to get some guys to run the floor. It's it's tough. It's tough. So uh, we'll talk more about that game in depth later, but I just wanted to vent my frustration that they're close, but they're
2: not all the way there. The part that makes that completely horrible huh. is you've got a quarterback with one of the biggest know, arms in the God. league. <laughs> you've got this guy that can uncork it 75 yards, probably off one foot, and you've got nobody that can just flat out go get it speed wise and it's one of those things where you look at it and it's like you built a car and has this huge engine and you put little tiny 14 inch wheels on it and you're like have fun Uh, if you yourself uh, also
1: want to try out a slip for this Thursday, by the way, even while we're doing our stream, uh, we're going to be doing more slips on Thursday, Sunday, Monday. You can use promo code bootleg over on price picks that will deposit match, meaning whatever you deposit up to $100, they will deposit match you up to that $100. So if you put in 50, you get free extra 50 bucks to play with 7,500. Again, anything up to $100, they'll match your entire deposit with promo code bootleg. So if you're interested in that and uh, also going <laughs> four out of five, on slips and still getting a payout, but just barely missing the big one. uh, You can use the promo code for that. But uh, with that being said, EJ, let's get to three up.
2: Some good games this week. We're going to start right in with Dolphins Ravens. This did not look like a good game early. We're going to talk about that later, sort of the comeback Sunday aspect of this whole weekend but Ravens looked in control early on this one um to the point where Dolphins are down 21 points to start the fourth that feels like not a great game in fact we were at a bar watching the first round of games and we sort of had this one in the corner of our eye we looked at the Ravens good plays thought the offense was struggling for the Dolphins which it was and we kind of were following the other what we thought were going to be closer finishes um Yeah, we were wrong. (laughs) This one turned into one of... Well,
1: one of us was wrong. I said in the first quarter, after they both scored quickly, and then it kind of got out of hand in the second quarter, I said, I don't know, two is kind of in his bag. I feel like this one's going to be something. It took a little while. I eventually (laughs) was right.
2: took you two quarters to come true on that prediction, but it did come true, and it came true in a big way. So lots went on in this game, uh, but... For all the folks that said the Dolphins offense is an assemblage of talent that isn't going to be able to be triggered by Tua, you got to come to the altar this week and say, maybe I was a little bit sorry about that Uh, because they were playing a tough team on the road with a good defense. They were down. They had every reason to fold and they didn't. They did the opposite. They came back and won this game.
1: And it was kind of a back and forth, like even just going from the last minute of the third quarter or so until the very end of the fourth quarter. That's when it became, okay. Lamar's playing phenomenal and the Ravens defense was holding up, not making mistakes. That's when it went to just two teams absolutely throwing haymakers at each other because the Ravens did control it. Lamar had an 80 yard TD again very late in the third quarter to put him up by 21 they ran qb power and he took it like 79 yards because he's lamar jackson he's right. insane and that's at, that's at the point where i was like oh this is going to be the revenge game for the thursday night last year where they called zero against him 37 times in one game and right. they couldn't handle it okay well now the ravens are healthy or er, ish yes. <laughs> you know, now they're now they're smacking them but the dolphins didn't give up Tua came right back marched down the field you know hitting play action, dig routes to waddle, work in the middle of the field. You know, what's the what's the old Hank Stram? Matriculating the ball.
2: Matriculating the ball down the field, yes. Got,
1: got to the red zone, and he had a really... This is something people don't give Tua enough credit for. Really nifty pocket movement in the red zone, where, if I recall correctly, it was a three-tech who was kind of looping around, and he saw him in his left eye. Uh, remember, two is kind of a, a lefty quarterback, so it's a little bit easier for him to see him come from that side. Saw him coming... And he kind of like retreated away from it and stepped up a little bit, baited him to take a flatter angle to finish. And then you saw him plant and immediately turn back around, you know, the old Tony Romo spin. (laughs) And because he's left handed, you know, he doesn't have to kind of crank and throw it back to it. Like if you're rolling to your left, you don't have to crank and throw it back like a righty would. He's it's like the equivalent of a, a right-handed quarterback running the other way, so you can kind of you know throw it across your body. Found a guy running a scramble drill. I can't remember if it was Gasecki or the other tight end, uh, and he just spun eyes, boom, dart, touchdown. They're back in the game. Uh, then it was early in the fourth quarter. The Ravens are trying to put the nail in the coffin a little bit early, in my opinion. Like I get it was kind of no man's land. They were on the Miami 40, but Miami was juiced up at that point. Their, their defensive front's really good. They again try to run Lamar in short yardage. elandon Roberts makes the play of the game, in my opinion, getting not just a two-for-one when he's just screaming downhill, takes out the polar and the guy behind him, you know, gets in a Lamar tackle. That was a decision that I, I questioned mightily because I know it's a long field goal from there, from about the 40-yard line. You have Justin Tucker. They were trying to end the game right then and there with nine minutes to go. A little bit early to do that for me. I would just take the field goal with Tucker, add yet another possession that Miami has to go get. Instead, they got stopped. Miami marched down the field. There was a busted coverage because Kyle Hamilton stepped in the bucket on the crosser and didn't kind of bracket the deep post as rookies tend to do all Shocker. of a sudden it's a one possession game i just i really question that fourth and one because i feel like it was just a little early to get that zealous
2: Feels like foreshadowing too, because yeah. we had some very questionable quarterback runs on short yardage plays. Uh, At
1: least they didn't do it from the shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> actually, no, they did, but it's Lamar, so but whatever. It's Lamar. <laughs> right,
2: you get extra credit for that. But I, I don't disagree that they, you know, I understand teams want to put the hammer down. They want to say, nope, we're going to bury these guys now. We're going to make this a cruise. It doesn't happen. They still had plenty of chances, right? The Ravens defense was banged up. Um, That was my hesitation coming into the game. It looked like they were going to be down their top four corners. Turns out they were only down their top two. Well, two of their top four. four, Yeah, Yeah, the top two actually played, and that made a big difference in this game. Marcus Peters was not 100%. He got run by a couple of times. He didn't have his regular wheels, but him being in there and making things more difficult kept this game a lot closer than it would have been if they weren't there. But this goes back to Miami's roster construction, both offense and defense, right? This is one of the fastest teams in the league overall. They put speed on both sides of the ball, and you saw it come into play, cranking them back into this. We saw the long routes that they're able to get. We just talked about the Chargers not having that, and you know, going and watching a game like this brings that into very clear focus. What could Justin Herbert do with a couple of speedsters? We saw Gaseki with a nice catch, but that throw from Tua was also amazing. That was pick and fence. They had two guys in front of him. He had to get it high enough that his guy could get it on the back line, but not too high. And yes, Gusecki's a big target, but he had to throw it over two Ravens to get it there. That was a nails throw. Right. Everybody talks about, oh, he doesn't have deep ball. He doesn't have this, which we both believe is a little bit overblown, but that's a very solid NFL down and distance. He threw that ball for about 20, 23 yards on out. third and 11, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Nails, just yeah. pure nails. Put it right in his hands because makes a great play. Again, the team coming together on both sides. This is a balanced or supportive, um, synergistic football, right? The defense handing it back to the offense, the offense racing down the field and scoring. Um, that's the kind of thing that's going to put a quality opponent like the Ravens under pressure and is a big win for the Dolphins early on. I mean, Mike McDaniel can now look at his team and go, Hey, remember when we were, you know, 21 down in the bucket to the Ravens going into the fourth? What happened there? Yeah. And they're all going to remember. So this is why this game leads off three up for us. It's not all about what happened this week, but it is about what's going to happen down the road for both of these teams. And they both have positives to take away from it. It's not like the Ravens got blown out and they're going to go to film on Monday and be like, they're going to say, Ooh, you know, we're going to need to make a few more plays against teams like that. And the dolphins weren't in that category last year. They weren't a team that the margin was that skinny against this is not only a message, you know, to the Ravens, obviously, but to the rest of the Dolphins slate. You better bring your A game. They're gonna put you under pressure on both sides of the ball.
1: And speaking of watching film and being frustrated, uh, the <laughs>
2: Ravens D B room,
1: I would kill to be a fly on the wall there because again, yeah, those two that's be touchdowns, un- unfriendly. They were busted coverages, mm-hmm. like stra- like obviously Tua made some great throws. You know, he his stats on go balls in this game were outright ridiculous but we also have to be honest that there were two major busted coverages that cost the Ravens the game as I mentioned Kyle Hamilton stepping in the bucket on that crosser to Jalen Waddle because they were hitting that all game long and he got frustrated and he wanted to cut it and then he let the deep post go by and Peters was looking at him as Tyree caught the ball like bro what the fuck buddy like, Tyreek is the main threat here like yeah. if they get across their waddle fine we can live with that but don't give them all the you know don't give them seven in one play which is what they did and then again Peters on the uh, the game on the game tying touchdown to Tyreek if you watch the all 22 of that play he was playing cloud he, was, he thought he should have had a safety over the top, yeah. which when you look at it, he actually should have had a safety over the top. It looked like they were supposed to be in some sort of like cover two look where they showed blitz and then got out to cover two. Whichever one of the safeties that was kind of crowding around the line of scrimmage and then bailed out did not get to their deep half assignment. Right. And so he's playing cloud. He thinks he's supposed to have somebody behind him, which he is. There's nobody behind him. Tyreek's just running. What can you do? Like It was just a complete bust. And I think the Ravens
2: defense... Uh, they're going to watch back that game and know that they should have had it. And this is, this goes back to, I want to say McDaniel, but it's really McDaniel Shanahan, right? Mm -hmm. When they draw these concepts up and they have weapons, whether it's Debo and Ayuk in San Francisco, or it's the assemblage of talent that they've got now in Miami for McDaniel, it's about putting players in conflict, specifically Mm -hmm. safeties on these routes where you're going to go after a guy like Kyle Hamilton, where we're going to make him make a choice. And if he makes it wrong, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to catch him. Peters couldn't run at full speed. Anyways, I, I'm not saying Peters could run healthy Even on his like best day, he right. could But that. when yeah. he's expecting help and he turns and the field's empty, that offense has done its job to put that player in conflict, and he made the wrong choice. And, you know, to the Dolphins' credit, Tua recognizes that makes the right choice, gets the ball out to him, and it's a long touchdown. So, you know, this is... I really like what the Dolphins are doing, if you can't tell, that they've assembled a lot of great talent. The scheme is coming together. They are gelling. We talked about this when, you know, a lot of new players coming together. The offensive line is holding up. That's a piece that nobody's talking about. is not under the same kind of pressure that he was last year. They've solidified a lot of their holes there. A couple injury injury issues, but everybody does. And they're making it work in a way that, makes them look really dangerous and solid these are not like oh so they got lucky wins these are we put a plan in place we got players to support that plan the players are holding up their end the coaches are putting them in good spots everybody's starting to believe i know it's early in the season we're going to watch how that continues but it's a great start in miami
1: We'll get back to the show in just a second, but really quick, the job market now is a lot different than the job market of three years ago, which I'm sure a lot of you have noticed, and there's a lot of competition out there to try to hire the best candidates possible for your business. If you yourself are also a small business owner, like me and EJ are, and you need to hire some extra help to get you through the holiday rush and beyond into 2023, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that you wanna talk to faster than ever before. Every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn, so if you're hiring, that is the place to be. You can create a job posting in just a couple minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach not just your network, but the whole LinkedIn network of over 800 million people. And you can even use tools like screening questions to try to narrow down and filter your search as much as possible. So if you've been trying to hire someone for a while and you've checked all the boxes you knew you were supposed to with good benefits and good pay and good work life balance and everything that employees want, but you're just not getting any bites for whatever reason, try posting that job for free at linkedin.com bootleg and see what they can do for you. Again, that is linkedin.com bootleg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Thank you again to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show and helping to make it happen. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, speaking of great starts, the Lions. 35-plus points on offense in two consecutive weeks. I truly cannot remember the last time that happened. That is why, like maybe Prime Stafford, Megatron, Golden Tate days, maybe. But, I mean, this this Lions offense is legit and a big reason why his fellow modern-day alumnus, Amon ra St. Brown. I'm going to bring him up every possibility that I can because I'm a giant homer for Amon ra uh, He actually joins Elite Company. He's the third receiver in history in history to go eight consecutive games with eight plus catches you look back at his last eight games most productive receivers in the league it's literally him and cooper cup we're talking about half a season theoretically of production and he's at 68 catches for 740 yards and eight touchdowns in the equivalent of half an nfl season most receivers would kill for that an entire year And that's on, again, for the previous six games last year, that's on not a very good team. I think he, or at least we in the media, should legitimately start talking about him as like a wide receiver one because his production is outrageous.
2: 100% we need to. I put out a tweet this morning that basically said, I'm not sure what he needs to do, (laughs) but I don't think. The answer is in in hindsight that he needs to do anything else. He is doing everything he can on his end. His production is top, top tier. We're talking about 1% production, Mm -hmm. whether you're talking about fantasy, actual, whatever, in terms of number of catches, everything else. He just hasn't, and probably because he was on a bad lines team for the second half of last year. And Jared Goff is his quarterback, so you're gonna see less of those big highlights. But you can't deny it's not a small sample size anymore that he is one of the best receivers in the league, definitely the leading receiver on that team. And people are, I think it's because it's the Lions, right? The Lions have been the Lions for a while, but don't sleep on this Lions offense. This is why we put it in three up as the second piece, 35 points plus two weeks in a row. He's a huge part of that. He is the main receiving threat. And it's almost starting to feel a little bit, and it's super early to say this, Like he's like a Brandon Cooks, right? The guy that just goes out and puts out a million, you know, he gets a thousand yards every season, no matter where he is, what offense, whether or not he's been traded for another first round pick. (laughs) Like he always does the same thing. And if you start talking about top 10 or top 15 receivers in the NFL, nobody mentions Brandon Cooks because again, he's been on teams like Texans, and he just floats around and it, it feels a little bit like that for me. With Amon Ross St. Brown on the Lions, but this is your early heads up bootleg listeners and watchers like pay attention. We've been talking out for two years that the Lions are building this the right way, that they're assembling the right amount of talent. We said until they get a quarterback, I'm going to scratch that off. They, they have a quarterback and it's working. If you put up 35 points in the NFL, it's enough to win. And it's not that their defense is a complete slouch and gets run over. They've given up some points for sure, but they have some talent there as well. This is a team you need to pay attention to. We called them a tough out, and they're getting past that. If you're <laughs> yeah. if you're throwing up 35 points, you're not just a tough out anymore, you're a threat to win outright.
1: I mean, they gave the Eagles all they could handle. This close. And the Eagles, we think, have a legit shot at like NFC Championships. So I I think it's it's a real team. And just looking at the first few or first couple weeks of NFC North action, they are not the worst team in the division anymore. They're a threat for a wild card, legitimately. And they're not even fully healthy. Like they didn't even have Frank Rag now, and
2: yeah, you know, their I mean, injury offensive line didn't allow them to have the punishing run game that they had in week one, which is a bummer because that's and, another. And Swift still looked good by the way on a bad ankle too. Like he
1: still ripped off a fifty yard run. Amundarot by the way led them in rushing because of course he did. But like they put up like nine yards of carry. No. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. It's a fun offense. Uh, keeping it in the NFC North by the way, this one's gonna hurt, but we have to do it. Uh, three up. Aaron Rodgers for the sole reason of Aaron Rodgers I mean no receivers well not no receivers but very little receiving talent your number one's Alan Lazard you know you got the wily old vet at this point Sammy Watkins you got some rookies who are still making rookie mistakes and it doesn't matter Because he's Aaron Rodgers and it doesn't matter who he has on the field because he's going to put the ball right on their numbers, 30 yards down the field. You know, he's going to break the pocket and look at Aaron Jones and give him a point and then throw a ridiculous ball over the fucking shoulder of the linebacker to get a first down. He's going to tie his career record for consecutive completions at 14. He's just ridiculous. And obviously the offense would be even better if they had Devontae Adams, but the acceleration from shaky to OK, like we thought it was going to start out shaky and then be OK by midseason. I feel like they're a little bit ahead of schedule on that and they're already OK.
2: Yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore. You can mention it like this has been long enough that my heart is completely calloused. And, and you know, it is pain. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's still fun to watch. It's no fun when it's against your team, and it's always against the Bears. Um, But it's against everybody else, too. Aaron Rodgers is one of the very best quarterbacks in this league. Top three, without a doubt. And people say, oh, I'm not talking about physical tools or potential. I'm talking about if I had to pick a quarterback on a neutral field to win a game. Right now, it's Mahomes or Rodgers. Sort of as and long you, as it's
1: not against the Niners, then, yeah. then you're and, fine.
2: And you can put those in either order in terms of his execution, what he is able to do, all the little things, many of which you mentioned, movement in the pocket, he even at a quote unquote RPO run last night, dipped his shoulder going through the line, even at 39. Like he's like, nope, you're not going to get me. I'm still just athletic enough to pick this up. Balls are always on the numbers when Packers fans aren't even used to. Balls thrown high over the middle that get tipped by wide receivers and intercepted because balls never thrown high Mm -hmm. over the middle. Like if they get dropped, it was on their frame. It was within their shoulder pads, usually on their numbers. And so when Aaron gets angry with his receivers because they dropped a ball, it's because he did his job. He's like, I put that ball on you as well as anybody in this league will and you didn't grab it. And he's right for that because he plays at that level. Everybody in Green Bay, including the fans, expects that level all the time. And when you have a week like last week where it looks a little shaky, which is what it looked, a little shaky, people go,
1: what?
2: And that's a normal game that happens probably three or four times a year for almost any quarterback in this league. We saw Tom struggle this week. Well, the it's against, us, you know, it's the, Saints, it's the Saints, but that happens yeah, yeah. regularly. And you talked about Aaron versus the Niners, and that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. But in general, Aaron Rodgers plays at such a Swiss watch precision high level that everybody just gets numb to it. Mm-hmm. And when you sit back as a fan watching him destroy your team, you come to expect it. Right. And all of my proclamations that the balance in this rivalry might end all came with an asterisk, which is if Aaron's not on his game. When he's gone. When he's (laughs) gone, right? Because I will fail to believe, and somebody has to knock him off at this point, because he's earned that and more. Until he's gone, this isn't going to change. He is going to play at this level until he decides not to play anymore, and then we'll see. But before that, this is what you're going to get every single time.
1: He is, I think, including playoffs, 23-5 and five against the Bears. If I recall correctly, in regular season play, they, the Bears have only won four games against Green Bay since, like, 2008. Like, we're talking, you know, Obama's not even president yet. Going back to George W. Bush, the Bears have won four games against Green Bay.
2: It says two straight decades of L, pretty much. And everybody, again comes to think of that as completely normal and then like you said with the receiving core they sort of spread that glow around like oh I'll give Alan Lazard his props he had a good cut on the touchdown catch last night that was a solidly run route he completed the catch good for Alan Lazard in general everybody that plays with Aaron Rodgers looks a level or two better than they actually are Because it's Aaron freaking Rodgers. Except
1: Devontae. He's like the one where it's like, okay, he's going to be good no matter where.
2: And we've (laughs) said that he'll continue that high level of play. But in general, the amount of elevation that Green Bay gets out of, it's like a force multiplier, right? It's like, well, this guy was a five on a 10 scale, but he's with Aaron now. So he's a seven and a half. Yeah. And that's just Aaron Rodgers. Sounds like a Robert Tanyan subtweet if I've ever seen one. Mm, It is.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's get three down. Number one for three down this week, Uh, the home crowd openly booing Russell Wilson in his first game in Denver and absolutely mocking their own team by counting down the play clock in their own stadium because the team couldn't get their shit together and kept taking delay of game penalties It's a mess. Two straight weeks of 16 points or less. It's like the anti-Lions over here. And we spent all offseason saying like, oh, this team could win 12 games. And they got a Hall of Fame quarterback and everything they needed was right there. And it's just not going well. Hackett looks over his skis. Russ looks. I mean, we we knew that they were going to run the Russell Wilson offense, not the Nathaniel Hackett offense, whatever that even happens to be. Um, It's just not working and I don't know what to do. Uh,
2: It's rough. I mean, let that sink in. You get one of the best quarterbacks, top 10 quarterbacks for sure, in the NFL. It's what your franchise has desperately needed to supposedly get itself over the hump. You go and you get yourself an offensive-minded head coach who's had a lot of success in the league. You put all this in a bowl and mix and stir, throw in a lot of extra money. And again, this comes down to understanding, playing together, playing on the same page. Uh, it is a new coaching staff, right? Yeah, it's an offensive coaching staff, but it's a new coaching staff and a new head coach like Nathaniel Hackett's first first bite at the Big Apple is a different thing, right? Being a head coach is not like being a coordinator. Um, folks that make that jump always talk about how much more there is to do that they just didn't ever have to see as a coordinator. I don't know if that's what's getting on Nathaniel Hackett or not. But the results are startling in their lack of production, their efficiency, their just general sort of unhookedness, right? It doesn't look like the parts are playing together. We saw this live when we went to Lumen Field. Um, It's the reason the Seahawks had a chance to win that game. If Russell Wilson had come out clicking and maximizing all the offensive talent on the Broncos squad they'd march the Seahawks right off the field because Geno's not a world beater either. Instead, they let him hang around. Seahawks play really good defense, win the game. We figure, okay, kind of like Green Bay, veteran quarterback, he's going to rally the troops, going to get him in the film room, say this is what I wanted you to do here. Let's make this adjustment here. Let's make this tweak. And they're going to come out and they're going to look more like we thought they would. Ha, the other thing, the home crowd rains down booze. They start counting the play clock. Do you see what Russell said about this? Mm-mm. Uh, this is where really it just feels like Russell's a crisis actor at this point <laughs> because he was like, Oh, well, it kind of seems maybe necessary that you know sometimes. And uh, the crowd was great today. <laughs> oh, god, and I'm it. like, Russ, blink twice if you're a hostage. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, it was not fun. It was predictable in one way, but uh, to say it's not going well right now is a rash understatement. The Broncos have to get it together quickly, and it's a difficult thing to do lots of times we used to give teams six, eight weeks, half a season to say, hey, we got all these new parts. We got to get them working. Not
1: together. the AFC West, dude. You, you got to go now. Yeah,
2: yeah, the flare gun has gone off and it is time to start running at full speed and see if you can catch up. And it's going to be difficult because we've talked about that division somewhat endlessly. They got to do it fast. And that's hard. It, the pressure is just going to continue to ratchet up. Um, I can't even imagine what Denver Talk Radio is like today. That landscape oh, has got to be wildly toxic when again you know the amount of leash you're giving a future hall of fame quarterback is a game and a half before you start like openly berating him it's this is a difficult situation not one that we saw coming um one that we'll be watching really closely though because it's one of the most fascinating things going on in the nfl right now i
1: will say we semi warned people this summer that the Russell Wilson offense is its own beast where again, it's a lot of throwing outside the numbers and deep and they live and die by those go routes, right? Like that's, that's what he and Tyler Lockett and DK did where when they need a chunk, that's what they're throwing. That's what they're doing. They're going to work a lot of, you know, Flat routes, quick games, stick routes, little hitches outside. They're going to kind of avoid throwing low and over the middle. They just don't really do that with Russell ever, and he's never done that. Regardless of the team he's on or the offensive coordinator he has, he just doesn't really do that. They run the Russell Wilson offense. Either if we're under center, it's a hard play action fake and we're going deep. If we're spreading out, that's when he does quick game. They'll do they'll do some runs here and there from shotgun. But like you look at the splits of run pass under center versus run pass in the shotgun, like it's entirely predictable. Yeah. And Seattle was just kind of able to out-talent people for a decade because they had Russ and they had Lockett eventually had DK, you know, they had Doug for a while, they had Golden Tate for a while. Like they always had dudes that could just make it work. We thought the Broncos had the dudes to make it work. And yet when we were at the Seahawks game. A week ago on Monday, like, Tariq Woolen matching up with Cortland Sutton outside. Tariq, 6'4", runs 4'2". He was taking away those go-routes, and I obviously he got, like, the one big flag, which was a little bit ticky-tack, uh, which wasn't even on a go route; It was on, like, a, a deep cross or something like that. But, like, Tariq Woolen manned the fuck up and, and took away that route, which kind of took away the Broncos' offense. And then it happened again this week. Like, if you take away those shots down the sidelines... They don't really have a left hook right now. And I, I just, I don't know what they're going to do about it. Obviously, it's it's a long season. We're going to see how it works out. But you got no Tim Patrick. Lord knows what's happening with Jerry Judy. KJ Handler's already hurt. <laughs> like, it can't just be Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton versus the world. That's not going to work. Unless you plan on running Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon 40 times a game.
2: That's what they're going to have to do for at least a couple of weeks. And it's, <sighs> it. I can't believe I'm sitting here saying take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. Two games in. (laughs) But for a little bit. I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying he's done. I'm not saying he's washed. That's not this. I'm saying you got Javante Williams, who is a beast, and you have a line that can run block. A bunch of sluggers on that line that like to get in people's faces. We saw with the Bears last night uh, as they struggled against Green Bay, they got back to just pounding the football, and all of a sudden they kind of lit right up. Now, I'm not saying they should have taken the ball out of Justin Fields' hands. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for now, to kind of right the ship in Denver, that's what you do. You look at this amazingly talented young running back, a powerful line, and you just say to your future Hall of Fame quarterback, I'm going to I'm gonna need you to back off a little bit for a couple of weeks and see how it goes because i don't see another option they're not healthy enough in the receiving core the coordination isn't there that high level of yes we can get 15 20 yards when we really need it and they do they sort of lay flat they're like oh it didn't work and there's no next
1: let's get to number two for three down here uh the colts offense in general uh this is actually i think their second straight week on three down the addition of matt ryan has not gone we thought it would Uh -uh. he has thrown four picks in the first two weeks he had three yesterday almost had a fourth so he's almost had five picks in two weeks I get Pittman's gone and or Pittman's out with an injury and Pierce is out with an injury but you still got an offensive line you still got Jonathan Taylor you still got Naheem Hines you got some tight ends we like like if there was ever a time to feed Paris Campbell that was probably the week to do it I, I just there's something wrong here and I, I'm not ready to say that Matt Ryan's washed uh-uh. because he just won MVP like half a decade ago. I refuse to believe that somebody goes from MVP to completely fucking washed in five years. That doesn't make sense to me. But something's not right. And it, oddly enough, when you look at Matt Ryan in the red zone over his career, he is one of the, the like worst red zone quarterbacks ever. And I thought maybe that was just you know, because of some of the offenses he was in in Atlanta and they weren't really prioritizing throwing in the red zone. It's continued here in Indy. And I i don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting good vibes about the Colts right now. Like, I'm not completely writing them off, obviously, because they're a talented team. But so far, early returns on this passing game are even worse than what they had with Carson Wentz.
2: And I didn't even think that was possible. It's not good. And it sounds a lot like the segment we just finished. Right, Your your big, deep threats, which is why they drafted Pierce. Pittman was developing very well into an alpha in his own right. They're out. You have an extremely talented young running back. Stop me if you've heard this before. Yeah, I know. A powerful offensive line. A veteran quarterback who you would never take the ball out of his hands. All of that is true. So the, all that mirrors what we just said about the Broncos. But a little bit of this light has to shine on Frank Reich and his staff. Mm-hmm. Because there's enough in Indianapolis to win. They have enough players spread around. They have a very good and diverse running back room. Um, They've got some interesting tight ends. And when I say interesting, it's the kind they like. It's just not what everybody else likes, but they know how to use them. And again, haven't really seen that over the first couple of weeks. They've got a quarterback that can play smart football. He doesn't have to play hero ball. And he's proven in the past that he's willing to sort of put his ego in his back pocket and do that, play within a system Frank Reich and his staff have to stand up here and say, no, we need to move. We can't just sort of stay the course and those guys will come back and then it'll all work. If they do that, they're going to be in trouble. Their division's a little bit different than Russell's. But some of this sort of criticism spotlight has to start turning to Frank Reich and staff. They can't be blameless in this because the NFL never sits still for very long, right? Even week to week. And they're going to have to adjust more quickly and say, with the spot we're in now, what do we do to highlight the strengths we have so we don't just keep dropping games? That'll build them confidence if they can do it. And yen, yeah, sure, you get Pittman and Pierce back and things open up even more, but you can kind of stack them on top of what you've built. Right now, it doesn't feel like they have an identity, and that's a coaching staff problem.
1: I feel like ever since the sudden Andrew Luck retirement, like obviously this organization When they brought in Reich, they didn't tell him like, hey, Andrew Luck's going to retire, A, because they didn't know, but B, who's taking that job if they know Andrew Luck's retiring? So they have gone out of their way to make that not hurt as much as they can for Reich. They have spent every dollar humanly possible. Ursay has had a blank check. I will go get whatever quarterback we need. Ballard, go spend whatever picks we need. Go get a guy because they like Frank Reich. They love Frank Reich. They want him to be their coach. And they've gone out of their way just cycling through quarterbacks overnight. We're gonna get Phillip Rivers, we're gonna do Jacoby Brissett, you know, we're gonna do Carson Wentz and give up a first round pick for him. That's exactly what you need. You took him to a Super Bowl, right? Like you got a first seed with him, right? Okay, we'll go do that. Oh man, okay, that didn't work out. Well, it's okay. We'll still give up picks, we'll go get Matt Ryan. Like, we we'll, they've done everything they can to just consistently give him all these quarterbacks ever since Luck retired none of them have really worked. And at some point, I think the front office and the ownership is like, hey, okay, we're doing our end. We're giving you what you want. We're giving you what you need. We're giving you all the money and picks you require to get the people you want to get. Win some fucking games.
2: Yeah, Jim Mercer is one of the most patient people in the league. Uh, case in point, he employed Ryan Grigson for like a decade, which is... Uh, that's the patience of kings, I suppose, <laughs> But there is a point at which that patience has to run out. I'm not calling for Frank Reich's job. Not at all. What I'm calling for is this sort of witness protection immunity around the coaching staff to say, hey, it's not the players on the field. We alluded to this last week that in order to have successful football at a high level in the NFL, you have to have both. You have to have players that can play on the field because they're the ones that execute. And you have to have coaches that put them in a good position to succeed. It's not one or the other. We always want to say, well, is it the coach or is it the player? It has to be both. And right now it feels like they sort of are at half on both meters. They have enough players and they have good coaches, but we're not getting that result that's pushing them over the top. And you have to start shining a little bit more light on a coach that came into a job in an interesting way. And yes, they have gone out of their way to kind of, you know, pad his little cage and make it as you know no sharp corners as possible i think we're past that with mm-hmm. all that we've got probably not going to do anything about it this year because Ursay says is again incredibly patient but you at least have to start looking that way and saying what would it take for you to start winning the games we want you to win because we've done all of this and it hasn't worked yeah it's just it's it's tough it's and Honestly, it's
1: rough to be a Colts fan right now because how many years have they gone into a season ultra hyped and then started off slow and they feel behind the eight ball? I can't remember the last time the Colts Colts had a good September. I really can't. It's just been rough. Uh, All right. Three down number three. Last one in this segment. The Panthers in general. All the Panthers. Everything about it. Uh, They've lost nine straight, and the seat under Matt Rule is... it was warm before, now it is hot. And I think the odds for him being the first coach to be relieved of duty this year are as high as they've ever been. Baker Mayfield hasn't been explicitly bad... But on third down especially, he definitely hasn't been good. They went 2 of 12 on third down. It was a complete mess. There were dropped snaps. There were balls bad at the line of scrimmage. There were uh, complete breakdowns in pass protection. Like, not just people getting beat, but just completely fucking missing assignments. Like, basic stuff. Like, hey, we're calling two jet here running back. You should be in the right spot. And they're not. So, it's... It's been kind of horrendous. Baker himself went three of eight for like 19 yards on third down. Pretty much the only functional part of the offense right now is Christian McCaffrey as expected, I suppose. But other than that, it's been horrific to watch. And the defense is cashing checks that the offense is bouncing right now.
2: Yeah. Christian McCaffrey to the left. Interesting. Yeah, nothing to the right. Absolutely nothing, <laughs> nothing to the right. If you want to know what side of the offensive line Carolina trusts, it's the left side. Look at CMC's carry chart uh, from really the beginning of the season, but certainly from this week. The seed under Matt rule was lukewarm. He was definitely in that. Mm, if you have to put money on a coach that's going to be fired either during or right after this season, who's on top of that list? It was him and a couple of other guys. He's squarely in that spotlight now. I. You can't lose nine straight games in going into your third year and be any kind of secure, especially if those games weren't particularly close. If you weren't really pushing people, um, you know, and look, they played the Giants and people say, this is my argument for coaching matters, right? The Giants are rebuilding from the Gettleman mess, from the Joe Judge mess. We know all that. They have some of the players they want, but they're certainly not one of those teams that's gone out and spent every last dollar in the salary cap. They have some things, but Brian Dable is 2-0 and with that mess. So coaching does matter. It comes down to a few plays, and the Panthers aren't making those plays right now, and it kind of doesn't look like—I don't have a lot of faith that Matt Rule's one of those guys. that's going to go, hey, 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 guys, let's— circle the wagons here we're going to be, we're going to pull this together because the defense wildly talented they've invested a lot on that side of the ball and they are delivering for their end mm-hmm. on offense again there's enough to win if you look at the giants at 2 and 0 and say who has more offensive talent right now oh it's not even close it's not close yeah, but the yeah. giants are 2 and 0 and the panthers are 0 and 9 uh so yeah if you're a carolina fan maybe you're hopeful that this continues. So you get a new coach. Uh, quite possible at this point. In terms of in season results, it's difficult because there's a lot of talented players that we like there. We like Robbie Anderson, we like DJ, we like CMC, we like a lot of their offensive line choices, we love a lot of their defensive choices. I just put out a tweet last week about Frankie Louvu being one of the most underappreciated players in all of the NFL. It's not that they're, you know, the cupboard is bare for talent. It's that that talent's not being maximized. And that's going to come into really sharp focus, possibly before the season even ends.
1: I do have one slight correction. The Giants actually
2: did spend every last
1: dollar. They just spent it on the wrong players. <laughs> so they have a shitload of dead money this year. <laughs> because I thought they, I was out of the Gettleman arguments uh, uh, and you drag
2: me back uh, these,
1: in. This was the Gettleman Bowl. These were both teams that yeah. were <laughs> utterly wrecked by Dave Gettleman.
2: It's the Dave Gettleman Revenge Bowl and it's on both teams.
1: I'm just saying one of these teams has had a lot more years to recover from that and still hasn't done it. Yeah. The other. hint in uh, Yeah. Uh, also, God, uh, Kenny Galladay contract.
2: Not uh, looking great right now because he is not meshed with the new staff. In fact, I saw a tweet yesterday that said, is Kenny Galladay still on the Giants? I legitimately had to double check to make sure yeah. he was even playing. That's... That's rugged when he was your top target in free agency and you paid top of market prices to bring him into the New York market. It's one of those things that happens, unfortunately, when staff shift and people have different perceptions about what's good and what's Mm going to play. Um, Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It sure seems like there's more than smoke here. There's fire and it's not working out. He
1: was just he was so good in Detroit. And then uh, I don't know, I guess you get away from Matt Stafford and. Things fall apart for you. but Funny. Anyway, uh, let's get to three fun, EJ. Okay, three fun number one. Uh, We went with Chargers-Chiefs, that Thursday night game that we did our first uh, live stream of the season on. Again, we're doing Thursday night live stream this Thursday as well for Steelers-Browns. And we chose it for three fun because there were some elements of the game that could have gone in three up and there were some elements that could have gone in three down because there were some ridiculous throws and there were some crazy good defensive plays, but there were also some kind of horseshit offensive plays for both teams and there was a lot of frustrating things and frustrating game management and dropped interceptions and Mahomes didn't have the best game and you know, pass protection for Herbert was kind of a mess at times and it, I it didn't quite feel like a three up game and it didn't quite feel like a three down game, but we kind of thought about it. We're like, well, it was a fun game, though, and it was highly entertaining. We had a whole lot of fun watching it. There were some big hits. There were some again that that Herbert throw with shredded ribs just to even give him a chance. Was absurd. That was definitely fun. You had Mahomes kind of doing his typical Mahomes, like, you know, dodge pressure in the backfield and roll out, uh, evade a tackle, and then just kind of like flip it back the other way for a touchdown. There was definitely a lot of fun going on in that game. And by the end of it, I came away thinking, okay, these are two very good teams. They're both probably going to be in the playoffs. I think we're going to get three matchups between these teams this year, God willing. And yet, we still maybe only saw each of them at about 50% of what they're capable of. And it was still a highly entertaining game.
2: Yeah, it felt like 40 to 50% by the time you got to the end of the game. It wasn't the game we expected when we talked about it on Watchlist last week. We said, this is going to be a shootout. It's going to be amazing. You know, make sure to tune in. About halfway through that game, you know, low teens each. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, huh, this isn't the game we expected, but it's still a pretty good football game and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the Chiefs came out on top of Mahomes didn't play like the Terminator he was in week one in week one. He looked completely unstoppable, polished and ready to go. And we thought, oh, yeah, like, the rest odd. of the rest of the AFC is in a lot of trouble. He He didn't come out and play like that. But to your point, he definitely had plays that showed all of the things that he's capable of. Justin Herbert wasn't super efficient. Uh, And he needs to be efficient. We love to talk about the explosive plays, but he needs to be efficient as well. And he wasn't. He missed some throws. Again, they had that miscommunication going on mostly around Palmer. Multiple times. Yeah, mostly around Palmer, but not only. Um, Then he got hurt. He gets hit really twice in the ribs. Ends up being fractured rib cartilage. um, Even has trouble walking back to the huddle. You can see the left half of his body just hanging. You know, Chase Daniel comes in the play for, comes in the game for. One play. One play. One play. That's that's his one play for the year, by the way. (laughs) Waves to the crowd, counts his money on the sidelines, and Herbert re-enters to a hero's welcome. Um, And then he makes one of the most unbelievable throws in recent NFL memory. There is no way that ninety percent of quarterbacks make that throw with that level of accuracy and zip. Completely healthy. The fact that he made that on half a rib cage is it's impossible. Like it's not impossible because he did it on national TV. It's impossible. I'm telling you, that is not a throw that people can make. It's definitely not a throw that people can make on half a ribcage. Yet it happened. So that's the reason you tune in. It's not because the game goes the way we wanted it to or we thought it might. It's that it's an entertaining football game between two bright young stars. We got to see some good. We definitely got to see some weaknesses, and so did defensive coordinators around the league. They're oh, gonna, yeah. they're gonna go back to that tape and say, "Hmm, all right, if we want to stymie them, if we want to take away that strong right hand and make them go to the left hook, how do we do that?" Um, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty of grist for the mill on both of those teams in that tape. But overall, even with that mixed bag, it was super fun to watch. We had a good time doing the live stream. We had our own mixed bag. We had some audio issues. We'll get those cleaned up. But again, we'll have the Thursday live stream. This week, it's a chance for many of you to do exactly what you say you want to do all the time, which is have a beer and watch a game with us. So swing by. Uh, By the way, the, the,
1: the notes that I think defensive coordinators are taking specifically on the Chargers is, as we mentioned earlier, they ain't going deep. They ain't going deep. You can line up in man coverage, and y- you can you can play cover two, and you can play half field safeties, but you really don't have to. It really just depends on whether or not you trust your DBs against jump ball situations with Mike Williams. And okay, maybe you can play half field to that side, and then quarter quarter half or quarter quarter half with the half field safety to Mike Williams side. But like even when Keenan's in, if you're bracketing Keenan, it's more gonna be inside and out, not top and bottom. So you don't have to play a cloud corner on Keenan. You can literally just kind of funnel him into a linebacker if he's in the slot, or, you know, you can drop a safety down in quarters and play uh, kind of an inside out bracket in that way. But y- you really don't have to worry about the chargers going deep on you unless Guyton's on the field, but he's typically not on the field. So that I think is something that defensive coordinators are going to take into account is that they're a very, like they're a very good offense and Herbert's amazing But they kind of have to attack you in a very specific way. And on the other end, I think when people are attacking the Chiefs, for one, they're thinking they're lucky stars that Sky Moore is just not getting snaps for whatever reason.
2: For whatever reason.
1: Uh, But number two, I think they're starting to realize like, okay, this team is going to run the ball and quick game you to death. And so we're starting to see a lot more single high coverages again. And they're saying, go ahead and beat it. You know, go ahead, run those deep crosses that Tyreek used to murder us with when he was like when they would go trips and Tyreek was the number three and you run the deep cross. Do you think you can get away with doing that over and over again with Miko playing that role? Like, obviously, he can hurt you a lot, but he's not going to hurt you as much as Tyreek is. And so you saw the Chargers play a lot of those single high structures and say, go ahead. Rip off 150 yards to Meikle. Yeah. We'll see if you can do it. We dare you. We dare you. That's why I kind of want Sky more on the field, because I do think Sky has the talent to actually play that type of role, and Meikle can just kind of go be the decoy and run people off. But like as as fine, I'm not even going to say as good, as fine as Meikle is, he's not Tyreek. And so now you're starting to see teams play them knowing that they don't have Tyreek, and they're changing their defensive structure. And they're knowing, like, hey, this is going to be a, a run-first team. They're going to hit you with the quick game. We're going to play cover one. We're going to fucking max fit you to death in the run game and dare you to run against, uh, you know, when, when you're one short in the box. Go ahead and do it. And I'm really curious to see how the Chiefs respond to that. And maybe, maybe we're due for a Meikle game just to remind people that you don't want to do that against Pat.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be a Kelsey game. It, they're going to lean on Kelsey to get some of those deeper routes. And and on the flip side, if you're playing against the chargers and you have a corner that tackles really well, because Mike Williams will win his share of balls. And I think mm. everybody just comes in resigned to the fact that, look, they're going to throw him some 50, 50 balls, but he very rarely breaks away and goes the rest of the field. Like he wins, but he goes down he gets tackled. Right? Mm. So if you've got a big physical, tough corner that can go, you might not beat him. Right. You might not get the PBU, but he's not going the extra 20 yards. And again, they're back to having to work for it. So until Keenan comes back and can kind of glue that underneath passing game together, you can almost single Mike Williams. If you have a big heavy corner, that can just go slug it out. You're going to lose some, but you're not going to give up for the most part, long touchdowns.
1: Yeah. Like if you have a Tariq Wollin, yeah, who's 6'4", he, like, you, you kind of feel okay about it. Yeah, Again, yeah, and it's Tariq's one... young, and Mike is great, but like that's a
2: matchup where I kind of feel okay with it. Yeah, and it's one guy, <laughs> and you say, go beat him up. Make yeah. sure he doesn't get away from you, even if he catches the ball. We know he's going to catch a couple. Obviously, try and keep that from happening, but we're not going to give you a ton of help, and then you can really press down on the Ecklers and anything they're going to run short and and have an extra guy to do it. So lots to learn from that game. Again, a fun game to watch for us. Hopefully it was a fun game for you to watch along with us. Uh, and we'll see you again on Thursday. Uh, three fun number two, Comeback Sunday. You know, we couldn't go the whole
1: episode without talking about this. There were three ridiculous comebacks. The Dolphins were one of them. We addressed them in three up. The other two might have been even wilder. The Jets were down uh, 30 to... I wanted to make sure I'm reading this correctly. 30 to 17 with 155 left and won the game. The Cardinals were down 23 to 7 at the start of the fourth quarter and won the game. And they both won them in the weirdest, wildest fashion you can imagine. You know, uh, Joe Flacco somehow reverted himself to 2012 and you know hit a dart on a busted coverage and then they recovered an onside kick and then they marched down the field and Garrett Wilson you know ran a bender against cover two and Joe just rifled it in there and beat the hook zone defender which by the way is not an easy throw like that like you're not supposed to be able to hit the bender (laughs) behind the hook zone defender and in front of the safety that easily yeah with ease but when you have that kind of arm which Joe still does have an arm and you have that kind of receiver with Garrett Wilson it was silky smooth and He can kind of, like, stem himself to make the safety freeze a little bit and then, you know, just kind of bend inside all of a sudden and and make a nice hands catch. It was a really, really impressive win for the Jets, uh, kind of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. And then the Cardinals, uh, I mean, I know Cliff was there, but... (laughs) But really, this was a Kyler Murray game. production. Like, this yeah. was a Kyler Murray production. The two point conversion was wild. Um, he just he he went full Super Saiyan at the end of the game and willed them to victory. Obviously, got a little bit of helping hand from Isaiah Simmons forcing that fumble for a fumble six game winner, mm-hmm. which you don't see every day. But um, that was, I think, just the Cardinals' stars as, as few remaining as they have at this point taking over and just completely winning by themselves.
2: Yeah, when people tell you that the little things in an NFL game don't matter, look at any one of these three games and Mm -hmm. say, that's not really true. You know, certainly one touchdown can turn a game, but a call for a possession that extends it, you know, continues a possession after a third down spot. They're all important. And when people say they're not, go, "Mm, uh, yeah, it was three times on Sunday. I think the Jets is probably the most dramatic for the franchise in terms of player performance. That's Kyler because he was crazy all by himself and really just took the team on his back. That's always cool. But we talked about the Jets in three down last week and pressure building on Robert Sala and not having a quarterback and kind of needing to put a win together and they're getting blown out at the start of the fourth quarter and you're like, oh, this is just gonna be you know one more sandbag in the pile. Joe Flacco not the guy that you would probably you know anoint to be back there, but cool veteran presence, big arm can hit some shots and everything lined up for them and they come away with the win that they desperately needed. So franchise wise, the jets probably most dramatic. The Cardinals in terms of player wise, like you said, other people were around, but I don't really know who because I was watching Kyler.
1: I think Kyler ran uh, the official number was eighty four point one yards on the conversion, on the two point yeah. conversion. It was a twenty one second play. It's EJ. just silly. Like it's just it's, the stupidest thing you've ever
2: seen. If you told anyone that even if you told him that was a college play, they'd be like, I don't believe you. If you told him it was a D2 or a high school play. They'd probably still be like, I don't believe you. It was an NFL play. It, it's not. It shouldn't, again, be possible, but Kyler makes this possible over and over and over again. He just does it, and he did it in the biggest possible spot, and that's, you know, it's not a must-win game because we're talking about week two here. Still plenty of time to recover, but it's an important game. They're all important, but to, again, snatch one that really looked like, you know, 23 to 7 at the start of the fourth, probably not going to go our way today, boys, and then Kyler pulls that out. You're like, free win.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this point, they'll take it because for sure
2: they are just trying to
1: survive, and and so are the Jets. Like the Jets are just trying to survive until Zach Wilson gets back. He might come back for the Steelers game uh, in two or three weeks. That was solid. Like that's the earliest we'll see him as the Steelers game. If they were zero and two, he hundred percent would be back. If they're one and one, it gives them a little bit more breathing room. Like where to the point where it's if it's iffy, they're like, okay, we're we're five hundred. You know, at worst, we're going to be one and two going into that game. Maybe we'll give another week. So I think it's that was a absolutely crucial win for the Jets to buy them more time. Right. Uh, for waiting for Wilson to get back. And same thing for the Cardinals. They're waiting for DeAndre to get back after suspension. Like, they have a whole bunch of injuries they're dealing with right now. They both really, really needed that. So... Great for them, and uh, one of the all-time wackiest red zones. I have to imagine our buddy Scott Hansen was just losing his goddamn mind all day. But and I spent a lot of a lot of time in the red zone control room, so I know I know exactly what they were going through with all the the weirdness. And God, it must have been fun for them. But uh, last little bit for three fun here. We want to write a love letter to the state of Texas and what it's like football culture here versus a lot of other areas in the country. You know, I'm back to back weekends in Texas, Austin and Dallas. It just feels different. And we were at DKR on Saturday for a, a UTSA game against Texas where yeah. the Longhorns are playing their third string quarterback and, and, There was ninety five thousand people there, like it was a packed D K R, all three levels of the stadium. It was loud, it was fun, it was raucous. All the fans were great, and just kind of being in this state and how much they love football. And I've been to high school games here, college games here, and NFL games here over the last two weeks. This people always say like, "Oh, football's a religion in Texas." This state really does treat it like a religion, and I I have had a blast watching games in this state this week.
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful state. Um, it There are a lot of beautiful people here. And yes, most of them worship at the altar of football, <laughs> along with whatever other religion they choose. High school football here is different. Um, I grew up around Pennsylvania high school football, which is also a semi-religious experience. It's still different here in Texas. You can go into any corner store, local eatery, post office, and ask about high school football in general you don't even have to ask about a player or a school you can just say oh you know what's going on on friday night and it's basically football mad libs you hear the same thing everywhere oh have you seen such and such kid over at insert school here <laughs> large or small doesn't matter he's such and such his boy and he's already committed to insert major college program here uh, and he really took it to other major high school program last last friday ran him up pretty good like you can say that to anybody the guy delivering your feed or your postmaster or the gal serving your coffee or whatever else it is. And it's not like that. It's certainly not like that where I live, Um, but it's everywhere here. Small towns, big cities doesn't matter. Everybody knows about high school football and it goes up a level. When you go to UT, we were on that campus and we were like, ah, won't be that hard to get tickets. It's UTSA. It's the week after Alabama and then the entire world came to Austin. We'll be able to move down in the lower bowl. Nope. Nope. (laughs) A sea of burnt orange. Everybody invested in every turn, every play. Plenty of UTSA fans made the trip or live in Austin. Um, Again, friendly rivalry, but no bullshit, no garbage. Like, everybody was invested for their team, and certainly a good amount of smack talk going Mm -hmm. back and forth. But talk about energy, the bands, and, you know, even going in, you would have never known it was UTSA that they were playing. Full tailgating, you know, all the intersections blocked off, the whole bit of pageantry. And the same thing, you sort of graduate and go to the Cowboys game on Sunday, and there was almost a sense of relief Mm -hmm. when they won that game that, okay, we can go about our week. The right thing happened, the right guys won. Cool. We had a good time. We're going to go back and we'll talk about this, but we're really going to start talking about Friday night tomorrow. Yeah. And that's the cycle in Texas. It's a beautiful state. Lots of great people, but we had an amazing time here. And football is just something else. You owe it to yourself to take a trip to Texas and watch football. I don't care at what level.
1: Also, uh, go to Jerry World because the stadium inside, like the TVs don't don't do it justice. Like Jerry World in person is... Ridiculous. And I know yeah. it's an older stadium, it's like 13 years old. It absolutely holds up. It is a ridiculous stadium. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a really fun place. Uh all right. That being said, bootleg shot of the week, EJ. Our favorite segment. I know we're on the road, but we hit up a liquor
2: store this morning <laughs> at like 10 a.m. Yes, they looked at us like that. They did.
1: Because we're like, EJ, we need to get hard liquor to take a shot at.
2: Oh. Oh, God damn. That's like an ice cube. <laughs> it is. It's really cold. I've had this uh, on ice since we started recording, so uh, it's really nice, and it will be cooling me as we speak. Uh, what'd you get? I, I, I'm attempting to open my bottle of Crown. Okay. Again, the you know liquor
1: store selection. It's not...
2: Yeah, not the greatest. I'm not
1: going to go out there and get a, a little thing of Maker's, so I got that, Crown.
2: But. Yeah, the, the lengths we go to for all of you. Uh, I got Lunazul, Blanco tequila. Um, and hopefully mine up. Oh, no, nope, I don't have any problem opening mine. So uh, we're good to go. But, uh, you know, Texas always hospitable, gives you free shot glasses if you buy singles. So oh, it doesn't all quite fit in their shame. So winner of last
1: week by popular vote uh, was Tay Crowder absolutely decleating Derrick Henry, which I think kind of everybody saw coming because anytime Derrick Henry uh, gets got, which is a rare occasion that one's going to win. So, uh, Tay Crowder, to you, sir. Cheers, and cheers. Cheers to you. Never shot Crown before. This is either going to be great or terrible. I don't know. Well, we'll find out.
2: Probably both. <sighs> Ooh, that is immensely enjoyable. Boy, Icy Cold, Ooh. this is excellent. Was nice. I don't excellent. even need a chaser. That was really nice. No, Lovely. The ice made it. You know, anything when it's 96 degrees, (laughs) we're sweating (laughs) like pigs. If it's super cold, it's going to be great. But yeah, that one fact Texas in September, not a cool environment. No, (laughs) but a big shout out to Tate Crowder. Um, And we have this week's nominees because there is a fresh slate of big hits from this week. Uh, Quick refresher on the rules got to be clean hits, no flags, no shots to the head. Doesn't matter if it's flagged or not. And no injuries. We talk about injuries enough, and they're part of the game. We don't need to uh, celebrate them here. So we had uh, not one, but two
1: from that Thursday night game uh, that we streamed last week. Derwin suplexing Travis Kelsey, you know, giving him the old pile driver. I think that one was kind of an obvious choice. We didn't even need you guys to submit nominations for that one. We knew immediately it was going to be in there, and it's probably going to win, but uh, that one's clear off the top. Derwin just absolutely demolished Travis Kelsey.
2: But but we've got the flip side, which is super, which is super <laughs> fun. Uh, we don't get to do this very often, but uh, we have a rare double bootleg shot of the week. Uh, Derwin's on the other side of this one. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire trucked Derwin later in that game. So Derwin is both the aggressor in one and uh, the speed bump in the other. <laughs> so Derwin's in there twice. But yeah, Clyde edwards Lair trucking over Derwin just smoothly and picking up a lot of extra yards. He's looked really good at the beginning of this year. We found out after being super excited that he was drafted that he had uh, an illness lost a ton of weight, like 30 pounds more yeah. weight than an NFL player should lose and was basically trying to make weight, which is difficult to do in season. Usually players are losing weight throughout the season. He was trying to gain back weight, which is why he didn't look like himself last year. This year, benefit of a full offseason, healthy, full training camp. He's come out and looked like the player we thought he could be in that offense. So mm-hmm. that's a fun side story for CEH so far.
1: Uh Nominee number three. Isaiah Simmons, who in the first 30 snaps of that game yesterday, by the way, only played four of them for whatever reason. He's still in the gulag and <laughs> probably because we liked him. Probably yeah. I mean, the Cardinals and linebackers, man. I just don't get don't, it, it. Yeah, don't. it's it's frustrating. They're probably going to draft another one in the first round again just to spite us. But regardless, he was in there in overtime. You know, came over Hunter Renfro kind of broke one tackle. He was trying to spin. You know, get a little bit more extra yards to get in a field goal range with like four minutes to go in overtime. Isaiah Simmons came over. You know, all six four two thirty that runs four three of them and just blasted Hunter Renfro, forced the ball out. Uh, Byron Murphy picked it up, ran it back for six, won the game. So uh, a game winning. F- oh God, you fucking Homer. Uh, <laughs> Game winning fumble six caused by Isaiah Simmons. It was a massive shot and, uh, hopefully a nice little confidence builder over him because the Lord knows he needs it.
2: Yeah, he absolutely needs it. Um, if there was ever a mismatch just based on physical proportion, it's Isaiah Simmons versus Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is a tough little son of a gun, but this was just, uh, Clemson four sequels, Clemson mass crime. times acceleration, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Clemson on Clemson crime, but it was uh, it's a huge shot, and it was a big turning point in that game. Obviously, it gives the Cardinals the win. Uh, nominee number four.
1: This is our last one for the week, and also kind of an underrated one. Uh, we had we had a couple people submit this one, but I also as soon as I saw it in the highlight, I was like, "That's going in" because it was awesome. Uh, DJ Reed, I if I recall correctly, they were in palms coverage. And uh, which Palms is a coverage where the outside corner is kind of bailing into his zone, but he has eyes on the slot. And if the slot breaks out, it's his job to then drive on it. So a lot of the time when you see like a little quick out to the sideline and the receiver or the corner comes out of nowhere and steps in front and picks it off and takes it back. It's usually going to be in Palms coverage because they kind of use that to trap uh, for interceptions. Or in this case, if the ball gets there before the corner He's in a really perfect position to absolutely blow that receiver up, which DJ Reed did, made a great tackle, was super hyped up. Obviously, he's been through a lot uh, over the last couple weeks with his dad passing away right before the game last week, so he dedicated this season to his dad, and he's played fantastically well to honor him in the first couple of weeks. I, I, I'm rooting for him. I think he's a great story. He's a great guy, and a hell of a hit here.
2: Yeah, we highlighted him as a low-key, good pickup in the free agency section of our divisional preview. We said, you know, don't sleep on DJ Reed. He's not the biggest name on this list, but he's a really solid player, and mm-hmm. he's probably going to play well for them. And we said, maybe even start. And again, we recorded our Jets episode pretty early in our 40-episode arc, so we weren't sure. As summer went on, he cemented that position. He's been playing really well. But this one we wanted to include because... We talk about scheming up catches. We talk about scheming up completions for, you know, increasing, hit. <laughs> and this is a schemed up hit, yeah. right? This is a schemed up impact play for the defense. We don't often talk about it that way. We talk about touches. We talk about quarterbacks. We talk about sacks. Like how can you play a game and scheme up a sack to get your pass rusher free? This is how you can get your DB a free shot or, an, or a pick on a wide receiver. And it's a textbook example. Like, Watch the play. We'll put the link in the description. He breaks well before that ball is ever thrown and just absolutely abandons his guy again because his responsibility is outside break on the inside receiver. As soon as he sees that happen, it is drop the shoulders, downhill trigger, He happens to get there right after the ball because it comes out quickly, but he annihilates the receiver and it's all based on scheme. Yeah,
1: so very strong nominees this week. I, I think I know who's going to win, but you never know. I, I kind of thought... I knew last week yeah. uh, and we'll see. But again, if you want to vote down in the comment below, uh, we have a pinned comment. I kind of fucked up and forgot to do it last week. This week, I promised there will be a pinned comment. You can vote there uh, and obviously tune in on uh, next week's show. We'll announce the winner. We'll take a shot. I think uh, we'll probably do something for the Thursday stream as well. But uh, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. It wouldn't be bootleg if we actually knew what we were doing. So you know that about us. Uh, all right. Last segment. Week three watch list. This one's actually pretty jam-packed. There was a whole bunch of games that you could have argued to put on here. Obviously, the one for me is Bill's Dolphins because I'm going to be there. But uh, what game for you in particular are you most looking forward to?
2: Well, Bill's Dolphins kind of feels obvious after this week, yeah. right? Dolphins are starting to click. Bill's basically an AFC superpower at this point. You want to see how this one plays out. Divisional game basically counts for two. Bill's on the road. Uh, can typically be tough to play early in the season, all the way down in Miami. Lots to watch here. Um, Packers Bucks is there because it's Rodgers versus Brady. As depleted as either roster may be. Might be the last one we get for that, too. It's Rodgers versus Brady. Uh, Even in his post-game comments, Aaron acknowledged that this is a big game because he basically said, look, Tom, like it's always Tom. I think he called him Tommy, which I was like, only you can do that.
1: (laughs) Side note, did you see what Mike Evans said to the ref during the
2: fight? I did.
1: (laughs) He's like, that's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? (laughs) Just
2: leave a Hall of Famer on the ground? You're nuts. Um, 49ers Broncos is really interesting because if you'd looked at this matchup before the season, you probably would have weighted it towards the Broncos. But lots of changes, right? Now we talked about the quarterbacking situation, which is an obvious shift in this. Um, but it's going to be a fascinating game on a bunch of levels. We've talked about most of those already. Honorable mention. Wouldn't be bootleg if we didn't have an honorable mention. Lions-Vikes. Oh, that's just going to be fun. Lions-Vikes, yeah. right? And again, if you looked at this before the season, you picked the Vikings to win that division. Lions, we said, were going to be difficult in climbing. But you would have said, oh, clearly, if everybody's healthy, it's it's Vikes. Yeah. Mm. I don't know about that. I'll do the old Lee Corso. (laughs) Not so fast, my friend. This is going to be a really interesting game. So that's our honorable mention for the week. But lots of great football to watch, as there is every week. We'll be here bringing you the highlights uh, next Tuesday for our regular weekly podcast. But don't skip out on the Thursday night live stream. Um, We'll be there talking about, again, a fun divisional game that's always, you know, hard fought, hard won. Um, Should be a good time. And the audio will be clean this week, I promise.
1: And we'll probably be drinking a little bit extra because we have to watch Mitch Trubisky in primetime. And EJ and I have done that enough in our lives, a lot, a lot, more than we wanted to, to be honest. But hey, at least it's not against the Packers this time. So who knows? Might end up being decently watchable. Apologize to Steelers fans in advance. I know. I know. It's that kind of year. But we'll get Kenny Pickett film eventually. (laughs) I know a whole bunch of Steelers fans and I I get texts from them every week now like, Kenny Pickett.
2: Right, Kenny Pickett. What are we waiting for? Kenny Pickett. Show me Kenny Pickett. <laughs> That's all they care about is Kenny Pickett. It will happen. Mitch has played okay, which we kind of figured he would. He would play okay. Um Kenny had a great preseason and and like you said, we'll probably see him sooner rather than later. I I bet very much sooner rather than later. But uh
1: anyway, with that being said, uh plugs for this week. Film room, I'm doing it on Chargers, Chiefs, in particular the Uh, Justin Herbert, ridiculous throw as well as the kind of roster situation around him. Some of the struggles we talked about in this episode, I'm going to expand
2: on them in film room. What do you got on bears over beers? Uh, bears over beers new for this year. We're breaking down one player each. JB and I are picking a player and breaking down the all 22 film, uh, one out for us. We have to go through the Packers film, find something that we liked as a positive. Can um, you? We're going to try. Uh, we've avoided talking about the Packers in the past by doing okay. things that are sort of elaborate, like a cheese draft, which was wildly popular and we still hear about. But no, we will be breaking down film as hard as it is. This is what we do for you guys. You can talk
1: about David Montgomery. He showed up.
2: I Only if I get the first draw. If not, I think JP <laughs> takes Montgomery and then I'm still digging. Oh, God. Yeah, it's
1: that kind of year for the bears but oh well uh thank you once again to our executive producers Marat, Consti, Caden, and Andrew. Uh really appreciate all the support you guys have given us over the years. Uh oh god, yeah, over the years now.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm going to toss out a special thank you for this particular week. There is no way that both of us come to Texas, go to two football games, um, you know, all of this stuff costs money and you know, uh We couldn't do this amount of content firsthand, the kind that all of you love, without the support of sponsors and certainly without the support of people that step up week after week, month after month and say, hey, we want you to be there. We want you to do those things. So a huge thank you uh, for their continued support. They're all champs.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wild week and I am only half done. I'm going to be in Miami and then I'm home for two weeks and Then I'm out in Pittsburgh. Hope to God seeing Kenny Pickett live in Pittsburgh. We'll see. And then you and I are going to be in Buffalo for Packers Bills in about a month or so.
2: Yeah, that's coming. But boy, we got to get home first. We got to shut all these lights down and get to the airport because flights don't wait. Uh, well, un- unfortunately.
1: So, yeah, uh, I have to get to the airport in like half hour. So I'm going to go do that. And I'll uh, see you guys on Thursday for the live stream. EJ, have a safe flight home. You too. And uh, yeah, see you guys next week or rather
2: in a few days. Take care.